This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're in chapter 15. Faith is another one of those terms that's gotten confused in our language. It's commonly used now to describe a fervent hope in something that's not realistic or likely. In the Bible, faith is a term that means acceptance of what God says and promises without requiring all the details. Today, we'll see an example of faith in action, great faith, when a Canaanite woman accepts the Messiah for who he is and not only doesn't require the details, she refuses to be dissuaded from her goal of finding the help she needs from the only one that can supply that need, Jesus Christ. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Second to Christ, my favorite heroes of the Bible are women. And I want to introduce you to one of them today. The reason this woman is my hero of the faith is because of what Jesus said of her faith. And according to Christ, she has great faith. So follow along with me. We're going to read verses 21 through 28, and we're going to meet one of my heroes of the faith here. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Let's see here what this scene teaches us. And we're going to go through three heart attitudes that move the compassionate heart of the majestic Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's what we see here. Three heart attitudes that move the heart of Christ, the compassionate heart of Christ. First of all, I want you to see that he will never turn away a plea for mercy. And we see that in verses 21 through 24. Now, let's do a little bit of geography here. This area, Tyre and Sidon, is around 50 miles north of Galilee. Traveling by foot, Jesus would have taken several weeks to arrive there, which demonstrates intentionality. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus didn't simply stumble upon that region. He planned to go north about 50 miles, traveling by foot. And the text here gives us some clues. For example, in Matthew 13, verse 57, when Jesus says, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And we see that very clearly here. He is in his own hometown, and the people are calling him Satan, and the Pharisees are rejecting him and demanding signs from him and, and challenging his lack of religiosity. He's violating the traditions of the elders according to the religious elite there. So he has no honor in his own house. So he goes 50 miles north to do some ministry to Gentiles. And again, let's not miss the connection between what we just read in John chapter 1, verse 11, when the evangelist tells us he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Now, this rejection by the Jews will become national as we read the gospel here, which will pave the way for God to demonstrate his redemptive plan to include Gentiles in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've already seen a few previews of that, some Gentiles being received into the kingdom because they have demonstrated saving faith. But I want you to know that in the parallel account that Mark wrote, he specifies that Jesus went into a house in that region. So he went 50 miles north into the region of Tyre and Sidon and he found a house there and he went into the house because he didn't want people to know he was in the area. Now, I assure you, church, that's not because he was afraid of Gentiles. He wanted to reach them. Christ has been seeking solitude and rest and we understand the reason. Rejection is painful. Even though he is divine, Jesus is also human. And he's been dealing with the rejection of his own people here. Remember, even people from his own family rejecting him. So he's feeling the pain, and yet without sin. He never lost sight of the big picture. There's the pain of rejection, but he never loses sight of the big picture. And we shouldn't either. It's been very clear up until this point in our study of the Gospel of Matthew that when you commit to doing God's will, you will receive rejection from people. People will second-guess you. They will offend you. They will insult you, criticize you, talk behind your back, and perhaps even threaten you. That is biblical. That is to be expected. Jesus Christ faced those types of challenges. But just like the Father sustains Him, He will sustain you. Jesus Christ is looking for rest and solitude. He goes into a house, the house of a Gentile, which breaks all the norms for the Pharisees, but the Father strengthens Him here. Now, From the perspective of the disciples, if they feared offending the Pharisees, and remember, they were terrified because Jesus is offending the Pharisees, remember? But now their fear will turn into a panic. Because if Jesus was offending the Pharisees because the disciples did not wash their hands before eating, now he's even more defiled because he's going into the house of a Gentile, into Gentile territory. And that is an absolute no-no for the religious elite, for the Pharisees. You talk about a Messiah who ventures into pagan territory? That can't be. If eating with unwashed hands was causing religious defilement, imagine hanging out in the house of a Gentile and even talking to one of them. Talking to a Gentile woman of Canaanite descent, no less. The presence of a Gentile in this scene would have caused great discomfort in Matthew's original readers. Remember, the original audience of the Gospel of Matthew were Jewish Christians. They're reading about this and they're turning in in their discomfort here because they've already read that a Roman was received into the kingdom. Remember the Roman centurion in Matthew 8 verses 5 through 13. And in their minds, these are the people who need to be judged by God. They need to be sent straight to hell because they are the oppressors of the people of Israel. When you have a Roman centurion who works for the government being received into the family and now a Canaanite woman. So they're very uncomfortable with this. Mark reports that this woman came and bowed down at his feet, begging for her daughter to be healed. That's in Mark 7, verse 25. She's begging Christ for his healing touch. So what I want you to see here, church, is her three statements. Three statements. She only says three sentences in this whole scene, this nameless woman. And these three statements form the proverbial load-bearing walls of this passage, demonstrating to us, therefore, how Jesus qualifies great faith. So her opening statement is a plea for mercy. She approaches Christ, shedding tears at his feet, and her first words were, have mercy on me, Lord. In other words, she she recognizes that he is the Messiah, son of David. How does she know anything about the son of David? 
And then she asks, do not give me what I deserve, but grant me pity. Grant mercy to me. So she appeals. This Gentile recognizes her unworthiness to even look at the faith of Jesus Christ. That's why she's crawling. She doesn't even lift up her head while she is addressing Christ. She says, I'm not even worthy for you to look at me. I just need your mercy. Don't give me what I deserve because if you give me what I deserve, I'd be in hell. Give me mercy. Grant me pity, divine pity. So what we see here, church, is therefore words and deeds of someone who expresses great faith in the Jewish Messiah here, and she appeals to his compassionate heart. But I want you to see here that remarkably she follows that sentence by articulating his majesty, by calling him son of David. She is referring to the majesty of Christ. She recognizes that he is the king of kings, the king of Israel, who will one day rule as the messianic king. And again, remarkably, she has no claim. She has probably very little knowledge of the Abrahamic promises because she's a descendant of the original inhabitants of the promised land who the Jews were supposed to drive out. So technically, church, she wasn't even supposed to be alive. So the lesson for us is this. My friend, even if you have a terrible legacy in your family, even if you have a terrible history of all kinds of sin, Christ will never turn you away. If you come to Him for mercy, you start a new legacy, a legacy of grace and a legacy of mercy instead of following your history of curse. So we're no different than this Canaanite woman here, and we need His mercy. This woman from Sidon appeals to Christ's compassion, specifically His power over demons. Evidently, she knew that the son of David the Lord has power over demons. Perhaps she heard of his fame and she came to the conclusion that her paganism could do nothing for her. See, her religion was absolutely unable to fix her problem. Just like the Pharisees' religion were completely unable to place them in a right relationship with God here. Now, she could have taken her daughter to shamans or witch doctors. Perhaps she has before. But instead, she comes to Christ humbly, not demanding anything, but only begging the majestic Savior. And how refreshing. Think about this. How refreshing it would have been for Jesus Christ to hear someone finally refer to him by the appropriate title rather than satanic implant or rather than you are doing this by the power of Beelzebul. Here's a Canaanite, a pagan, someone who presumably knew nothing about Israel or, or even the Messiah and comes to him and refers to him as Lord the son of David, and appealing to his compassion and mercy. But then we're reading the passage here, and then we come to verse 23, and we are shocked by the silence of Christ. Because you say, wait a minute, why is Jesus silent here? In church, the same reason why it feels like Jesus is silent when you are crying for mercy, when you are pleading and saying, Lord, please have mercy on me. Fix the situation for me. Bring me the solution. And why are you silent? <laughs> why aren't you doing anything? Well, keep reading because his silence is only temporary, which reminds us that when the master is giving the test, he must be silent, but he's in the room. It may be unloving at first when you're reading this in verse 23. Jesus' silence may bother you, but check it out. Matthew hints at the purpose of his temporary silence here. And by the way, this is a divine technique that he uses here because the disciples are in the scene and they would have encountered many similar situations in their ministry going forward here. But interestingly, they break the silence. 
And they break their silence by asking him to send her away. <laughs> Lord, please, send her away. This, this is too embarrassing for us. We're, we're Jews, right? And here's this pagan, this Canaanite. She's an embarrassment to us, Jesus. And the longer she cries out, the more exposed we are to being reported to the religious elite. So send her away, please. We want to get on with ministry. In church, unfortunately, many of us sometimes display the same attitude towards unbelievers. Do you consider any unbeliever an embarrassment or an inconvenience to you because of your time, because of your appearances, because of a facade that you want to continue to portray? Do their pleas for mercy bother you or they activate your compassion? What's your hard attitude towards the homeless in our city, for example? Are they an embarrassment to you? And when you drive and you see, and you, the first thing that comes to your heart is to criticize the government? Or is it to say, man, some of these people need Christ? Because homelessness doesn't have to be hopelessness. Do they activate your compassion? How about the inmate population? Are they an embarrassment to you? Or how about the drug addicts? How about the sexually immoral? How about the corrupt politicians? who attack your faith on a daily basis, do they represent an embarrassment and an inconvenience to you? Do you say, Lord, they're, they're not worthy of you. Let's go away. Let's do ministry over here with the holy bunch. Is that your attitude? Because that was the disciples' attitude here. Let's make sure our hearts align with Christ because if they don't, we need to adjust them accordingly because we need to understand here the heart of Christ. This woman was not an embarrassment for Jesus Christ. Jesus has never turned away and never will turn away a repentant sinner who seeks Him, who desires Him. And church, that is the very reason why this place here, Grace Baptist Church, will never close its doors to repentant sinners who say, I need Christ. I need His mercy. I am a terrible sinner. I have committed a terrible sin. I need mercy. Church, when somebody comes to us and says something like this, our response will always be, you're welcome. Come and join us, the rest of us who are unworthy sinners, saved by grace through faith. In verse 24, Jesus maximizes a teaching opportunity here. I want you to see when he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here again, and I understand your frustration if you're reading this and say, Lord, are you trying to dissuade this woman from coming to Christ? That's exactly what he's doing, okay? But he's maximizing a teaching opportunity. And he states what John wrote in the gospel. Again, John 1 verse 11. He came to his own. This is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the Jewish priority of his ministry. He said, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the reason why he's doing this, church, I want you to know that he is comforting the disciples. Because naturally, the disciples were thinking, wait a minute, are we done with Israel? And Jesus assures them, no, we're not. The Jews had turned their back on him, but Jesus Christ says, I have not turned my back on them. Again, look at the context in which he says these words. He says, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. But you're saying, wait a minute, the lost sheep of Israel will have nothing to do with you. But he says, no, but I love them. I have a compassionate heart. I'm going to reach them. Some of them are going to repent and come to me. That's the remnant. There will be a remnant in the future, obviously, because God's calls are irrevocable. His promises to Israel will come to pass. But that's the first hard attitude that moves the compassion of Christ, a plea for mercy. But I want you to see number two, verses 24 to 25, a second hard attitude that moves the compassionate heart of Christ. And that is a cry for help. Now, by this time in the earthly ministry of Christ, he encountered plenty of people who display superficial faith, right? 
people who wanted to come to him only because of a quick fix. But very few people up until this point here came to Jesus Christ because of his beauty, because of his majesty, because of his divinity. So Jesus now wants to make sure that this woman came to him for the right reason. And again, the fact that this is a Canaanite is even more remarkable. And again, the disciples needed this type of training because they would encounter many similar shallow prospect converts. In church, there is no shortage of those. So this is a great lesson for us. Jesus is trying to dissuade this woman from coming to him, saying, are you sure you want to follow me? Because I'm not even here for you. I came to Jews first. And, and so Jesus Christ is, is, is making it difficult for her to come to him. And that's not what the church growth textbooks will tell you. In fact, church growth textbooks will say, cater to their desires. Design your church in order to fulfill the expectations of sinners that are unbelievers that want nothing to do with God. You'll fill the building. That is a completely different strategy that Jesus employs here. And Jesus Christ is then wanting to make sure that this Canaanite woman knew exactly what she's doing. Count the cost. And there's a little cost for her in the beginning. And that little cost was the perhaps the humiliation of being told by Jesus Christ, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. But clearly... She had the right type of faith. Nothing would dissuade her from coming to Christ, even potentially offensive words from Christ himself. In fact, she wasn't dissuaded by what Christ said. She elevated her worship even, so she, she kicked everything into high gear now. She says, Lord, help me. And that is the most important prayer you will ever pray in your whole life. She's appealing one more time to his lordship. Again, she knew the son of David was compassionate enough to attend to her needs, even though she was not part of the lost sheep of Israel. She knows that she's not part of the lost sheep of Israel. She's the lost sheep of the pagan world. Perhaps someone told her that Jesus had other sheep, because he said that in John 10, verse 16. Listen to this. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. You see, even though he said, I came to the lost sheep of Israel, the same Jesus that said that in the Gospel of John says, I came, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. That's exactly what he went to do. He went to pagan territory to bring the sheep not of that fold. And he says, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And that is exactly what we see happening here, church. Why? Because in John 3, 16... The most famous Bible verse, the first one that we memorize, God so loved the world. He loved Israel, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And here is Jesus Christ who is described in the Gospel of Luke as the light of revelation to the Gentiles, going to Gentile territory, revealing his compassion, revealing his messiahship, revealing the fact that he loves sinners. Which means, church, anybody who wants to be saved will be saved. You understand that? Anybody who wants to come to Jesus Christ and says, please save me, he will save them. The Bible says no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws them anyway. In John 1 verse 12, we're told that as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So even though Jesus Christ told her, I came to the lost sheep of Israel, she understood that perhaps she was part of another fold, and she appealed to the compassion of Christ. In verse 26, Christ's insistence on the Jewish priority here accomplished another goal that I want you to see, which he states in analogy format. And remember, the analogy is of people eating at the table and little dogs coming and eating the crumbs. Because 
Jesus and the team journeyed into Gentile land. The disciples thought that God would not fulfill his promises to his people. But with this simple illustration, he confirms that God will never abandon Israel. He welcomes non-Jews to the flock. But here's what else this analogy accomplishes here. He reminds this Gentile lady that he is the bread of life. John 6 verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. And he may have come to the Jews first, but if anyone eats of this bread, even the crumbs, that person will live forever, according to John 6 verse 51. And again, she seems to have understood that, which shows the third attitude in the heart that we need to pay attention to, that Jesus Christ qualifies as great faith. There's a plea for mercy that he'll never turn away, a cry for help that he'll never turn away, and finally, I want you to see verses 27 through 28, a display of lowliness, a display of humility. He'll never turn away. Now, before you think that Jesus is insulting this poor woman by calling her a dog, let me explain to you what he's doing here, okay? Because Jesus is not insulting this Gentile woman who came to him begging for mercy. In his analogy, he used the Greek word kunarion, which refers to household puppies. Now, if Jesus wanted to insult and offend that woman, he would have used a similar-sounding word, kuon, that describes scavenging dogs. In fact, that's the word that Paul used in Philippians 3, verse 2, to describe false teachers. He says, beware of the dogs, kuon, those ugly-looking, scavenging dogs that roam the streets and attack people when they were hungry. If Jesus wanted to offend that lady, he would have used that epithet. But he's not doing that. He's saying, even the little puppies come and gather around the table. And the reason he did that is because he knew she was going to answer what she did in order for that to be written in Scripture for us today. Okay, so don't let anyone tell you that Jesus was a racist and he never looked down on women. Don't let anybody tell you that because it's simply not true. If that were the case, he would not have gone to pagan territory. He would not have allowed that woman to come into the house and he wouldn't even talk to her, let alone refer to her by a term of endearment. So Jesus loved this Gentile just like he loves you and me today. In his infinite wisdom, he used an analogy that would prompt her to respond the way she did in order to show you and me what saving faith sounds like. That is exactly the divine purpose here. So Jesus is prompting that dialogue with this woman in order to show the disciples and for you and me today what great faith, saving faith looks like and sounds like. Her answer didn't catch him by surprise. Nothing does. In fact, you will remember that in the Gospels, by the way, you will read many times people trying to trap Jesus in his words, and it never works. So she's not trapping him. She's not winning the argument or anything like that. What's happening here is this despised, cursed, Canaanite verbalizes Jesus' lordship for a third time. And by doing so, she reveals the content of her heart because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And she articulates her contentment with being last in line. And that is a great lesson for us to observe, church. And we will close with this one. She says, I don't mind being last. I don't mind receiving the crumbs. And therefore, she exemplifies what Jesus says elsewhere. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. According to Mark 9, verse 35, and that's what's going on here. The religious elite were as far away from the kingdom, and this woman here is in the kingdom because she displays saving faith. She doesn't make any demands. She doesn't make any claims. She asks for mercy. She cries for help, and she doesn't mind being last in the way she articulates it here. Give me the crumbs, Lord. Even one minute in your presence is enough for me. 
Even one word from you is enough for me. She prefers the scraps from Christ's table over the banquet from the world. And what a lesson. This is why this woman is one of my heroes of the faith. She prefers the scraps from Christ's table because they're nutritious enough for her soul. Then the banquet from the world. In her answer and her body language, she communicates lowliness, quite literally because she's now crouching down at the floor, bowing down before Christ, hoping to receive kindness from Jesus Christ instead of demanding. What a great lesson for us. See, our flesh demands other people bow down to us. And shockingly, you and I probably know some Christians that actually make demands from God. They demand that God bow down to their desires. Jesus says someone who displays great faith here is humbling herself, saying, Lord, I don't mind just the scraps. Please give me just the scraps and that's enough for me. Because humility, servanthood, and selflessness bring true joy. Don't ever forget that. You will be the most miserable person if you demand to be served. Conversely, if you humble yourself, you serve everybody and you say, Lord, I'm not entitled to anything. That is great faith, saving faith. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time... This is Truth with Grace.